welcome to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, we are recording this on Saturday, March 11th, and you'll be listening to this for the first time on Sunday, March the 12th, uh, right before daylight savings, before we spring forward. Um, my name is Jasmine, and I'm here with my co-host, Reese. How's it going, Reese? It is going. It is a cloudy day out here in Los Angeles, and all I want to do is stay in the bed and watch movies today. So, well, I definitely I know how you mean. I know what you mean. It's cloudy in the in New York too. It's been kind of soggy, rainy, cold, cloudy. But yeah. I guess that's March. Exactly. I'm just like whatever, dude. Some days you push, and some days you don't. <laughs> I mean, well, I guess that's what weekends are for. You can take it easy, just recharge. Yep. And everybody needs to do that every once in a while. All right. So this week, um, we have three stories for you. For the local news story, uh, I'm going to be talking about Mayor Adams backing uh, a NYPD police chief's intervention um, in getting a retired cop's arrest voided. For national news, uh, Reese will be talking about a white student that is suing Howard for discrimination. Is that it? Yep, that's it. All right. You know, we this is the first show we're doing after Black History Month, and bam. <laughs> bam, with the bullshit. Right. And then for world news, um, I'll be talking about the British Prime Minister... Um, proposing some pretty severe and uh, troubling changes to um, their asylum policy that basically prevents people from seeking refuge in the UK if it were to pass. Um, So to start out, um, I will begin with the local news story. And this is published, this was published in the city on March the 10th. It was written by Yoav Gonin and Katie Honan. The title is Adams Backs NYPD Chief's Intervention Before Retired Cops Gun Arrest Was Voided. Um, so I'm going to read the majority of it, but some has been cut for the sake of time. Mayor Eric Adams on Friday said the NYPD's top uniformed cop, Jeffrey Madry, acted appropriately when he intervened in late 2021 following the arrest of a retired officer in Brooklyn for allegedly menacing three kids with a gun. A trove of videos published by the city on Thursday show the retired officer, Croithaw Forrester, being released with his arrest voided roughly 90 minutes after the arrivals of Madry and, uh, and another chief at the 73rd Precinct House in Brownsville where Forrester was being held. Madry, who supervised Forrester for three years when both men previously worked at the precinct, was serving as the NYPD's Chief of Community Affairs at the time and was promoted this past December to Chief of Department. I think he handled it appropriately and there's internal reviews that are done to make that determination, Adams said in response to a question at an unrelated press conference on public safety at City Hall. But an attorney for the three youngsters said the footage validated their claims that Forrester was freed after inappropriate intervention. The newly released video further verifies the truthful accounts of these young New Yorkers and lays bare the disgraceful ways in which some of the most powerful people and institutions in New York City were and remain 
willing to steamroll three black children so a retired NYPD member could save face, said the lawyer, M.K. Kaishian. In his support of the chief, Adams cited Madry's popularity when he worked in Brooklyn, where he also served as commanding officer of Patrol Borough Brooklyn North from 2015 to 2020, as well as his volunteer work around the holidays and a recent decline in citywide crime. I have the utmost confidence in Chief Madry, added Adams. When the city broke the story of Forrester's arrest and release shortly after the Thanksgiving Eve incident in 2021, a source familiar with that night's events said Madry and his colleague, Brooklyn North Deputy Chief Scott Henderson, ordered that Forrester's arrest be voided. NYPD officials denied that claim at the time, saying Madry and Henderson had ordered an investigation of the incident that night and that further review could not corroborate the claims of the then 12, 13, and 14-year-old boys that Forrester brandished a gun at them while chasing them through neighborhood streets for seven minutes. The pursuit erupted after one of the boys threw a basketball at the security camera outside Forrester's storefront real estate office. Police later said a probe by the department's Internal Affairs Bureau found neither Madry or Henderson had behaved inappropriately. The videos newly obtained by the city, 36 recordings from police body-worn cameras, as well as neighborhood and police precinct surveillance cameras, show that Sergeant Carl Hanish of the 73rd Precinct found the kids independent and matching descriptions of what Forrester's gun looked like, as well as which side of his body he drew it from, convincing enough to warrant the arrest. They also revealed that at the precinct, Forrester twice asked police personnel to contact Madry on his behalf, and that Madry showed up at the precinct roughly an hour after those pleas. In total, Forrester spent 38 minutes in a precinct jail cell and less than three hours at the station house. Shortly before leaving the precinct, Forrester shook hands with Madry and bantered with Madry and Henderson for several minutes, the videos show. Attorney Kaishian called for an independent probe of the incident by State Attorney General Letitia James, whose office didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. She also sought redress from those who doubted the boys' accounts, including local Brooklyn clergy leaders who rallied to Madry's defense in the days after the incident. Like too many before them, the victims have been further harmed by the conduct of those who sought to discredit them simply because their abuser was a cop, Kaishian said. The city obtained the videos through a public disclosure law request filed with the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, which also investigated the incident. That probe found no criminal conduct. A spokesperson for the DA's office didn't immediately respond to a request for comment on Friday. So, yeah, I mean, it was fairly lengthy, but also at the same time, you know, just disappointing you know such young kids to have something like that happen to them and the excuses being made are just you know it's despicable in my opinion
Yeah, and people don't realize how trauma affects children. Like, it takes a lifetime to get over something like that. But it's also like mixed message messaging here that they will probably have to deal with for a really long time. Um, you know, growing up knowing that this is the way this was handled. It's just, it's, it's crazy. Like, cops are not above the law ever. And I really hate the way that they always get away with things. And that's what keeps them feeling like they can, you know, treat and harm people like they there's no one to stop them. They, you know, it's a really psychopath type behavior for someone to think that and for anybody to support it either. It really like you hit the nail on the head like this, you know, it's one law for everybody else. And then it's a different set of laws for them that just don't seem to apply um, and I don't know, um, have you heard about what's going on with the SRG, the strategic response group, that no. um, band of the NYPD? No, what's up? So back during the George Floyd protests, like this is a specific unit that will go out like when there's protests and things, but they have been, there's been all these allegations of abuse of them against protesters and on in New York One, they had an article that said NYPD brass a no-show during city council hearing on controversial strategic response group. So on March the 1st, um, the city council had a hearing. Um, the Committee on Public Safety had a hearing to discuss like what this group has been doing, allegations of abuse of power, and they just did not show up. The NYPD didn't show, didn't come. Wow, uh, and they were, they were accused of using overly aggressive tactics against protesters and others. Uh, there were people, members of the committee, and members of the public showed up at that meeting to address the SRG amid allegations of abuse of power, especially during protests following the murder of George Floyd. Um, and the city, like meaning New York City, and mind you, this is taxpayer money. When yeah. you see these big payouts that go out because they were cracking, like busting people's heads in and doing all of this and the city settles with them, that's me and you paying that. The city is set to pay millions of dollars to demonstrate who were, who were reportedly hit by batons, pepper sprayed, and suffered other alleged abuses during the 2020 protests. Reportedly 300 protesters will receive more than $21,000 each. You know, like wow. this is what people are defending and acting like they're above everything. There's no accountability. And it's just straight up disgusting. Like a kid throws a basketball at something and that's a reason for you to run around with a weapon after them, 12 and 13 year olds. Yeah. To where they know what your gun looks like and can describe it and then to lie and cover it up. It's just, it's infuriating. It is. And it makes you really feel trapped, you know, like that, that feeling where you can't escape the type of treatment that, um, that you experience when you're having things like this. And it really just leads to more violence because no matter how many times we do these stories, there comes a breaking point for everybody, you know, and, and I'm so over cops thinking that you know, they're the only ones that can exercise that because that's not true. I mean, I wish there was something that could be done. I wish there was more that we could do to exercise our rights, but it seems like they're being taken away all the time. 
by people who feel like they have every right in the world. I don't think people realize that, you know, it could, it's one person today or it's one group today and it could be you tomorrow. Like some people feel like it's never going to be them that's on the wrong side of an interaction with the police. So like they don't mind voting for people and promoting policies and stuff that just give them more and more power because they personally feel secure. And it's like at any given time, something like the definition of what's legal or illegal could change. And then suddenly like you are a part of a group that they're, you know, harassing. You could fall on hard times, get evicted, something like that. And then, you know, the homeless people that you were so rah-rah about them getting roughed up, that could be you someday, you know? And like you spent all of this time giving more and more power to these groups when, you know, it's really not a sign of like a healthy democracy that you have, you know, armed people, people who are armed and dangerous and there is no accountability at all. Like to, for the fact that they didn't show up to the city council hearing at all, that's wild. Especially, you know, considering yeah. what the allegations are, like I, people need to wake up and be very afraid of that because that literally means they can do and say whatever and there's next to nothing that you as a private citizen are able to really do or expect from that. That is not good. That is not keeping us safe. That's right. That's right. It's keeping them safe. The biggest gang in the world. So you ain't never lying. I, I think I was telling you before we recorded, like as everybody knows, like I'm the I'm the COVID czar. But, you know, I'm very into people wearing high quality masks, like COVID is not over. It's still a serious health threat. There's a lot of data that's just not being collected. So people are under the misconception that it's over. But, you know, there's a minority of us that are still reliably like masking when we leave the house. And now the mayor is trying to gas the cops up to harass people over that. And to tell shopkeepers to not let you enter if you have a mask and all this other BS. You know, it's just the notion that all these cops is what keeps you safe is totally misguided. And it just makes for a less stable and more dangerous environment for everybody overall with COVID or whatever else. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And we can never stop, you know, um, talking about these issues and making them important um, places of discourse because if we stop, they win automatically. So it's just one of those things where when you set up these public forums and these opportunities for democracy to actually work and people don't respect it, it makes you question the whole fucking system as a whole. And, you know, don't want to be bitter or, you know, just like pessimistic. But in the reality, the structures only work when we abide by them. You know, so when people don't um, play their part, then it's just like the reality check of none of this shit is really legitimate. If if like, why do people put the energy into setting up these forums for the communities to be heard and for people to really have their voices um, magnetized and their circumstances talked about? You know, I mean, I could go on for days about how we uphold a certain level of this by our sheer fear of what will happen to us. And it's like, they have no fear whatsoever. Nope. And you know, it's really, especially we know 
and we've talked about on this show, like within law enforcement, there's a huge problem with people who have these far right sympathies, you know, whether it's like white nationalist thinking, racist thinking. Tyree Nichols was killed, beaten to death basically by a bunch of black cops. So it's not even just about that. Like there's people with these mentalities of wanting to be above it all and they want to be able to abuse their authority and they pursue jobs for that reason. There are people Mm -hmm. like that because they know that if they're doing it from behind a badge, there's zero accountability. Like no matter what happens, they know that they'll be protected. You know, and it's, I don't know what it's going to take for like people on mass to kind of wake up to that. But I think some of it is just feeling like, you know, maybe if you're not black or like you're not within a certain demographic of black people, it might not seem as real to you that this is dangerous, but yeah. it's only going to get worse. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm scared of what's going to happen with this mass thing, but it's like, I don't know, maybe it's going to take enough you know, random white people getting stopped and being hassled for it to dawn on you that, hey, this is not okay, that we essentially live in a police state where they can behave as though they run the city. It's really a shame and a disgrace. And I'm feeling very sorry for these children that were treated this way. It's wild. You know, it's wild. And Adams allegedly had a story in his background where he suffered from police brutality. And I guess they knocked him into nonsense. I think we need a music break to um, digest this bullshit. So um, it is Women's History Month. So I just want to shout out all the ladies in the world um, making history every day just by keeping going, yo. Just by keeping going in a in the in a life that sometimes feels like it's against you. Uh, the first song for this week we have um, "Pace" by Nubia Garcia. We'll be right back. And you're listening to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn.
Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next with our national news story is Reese. So this article is from The Insider. Um, It's from March 1st, and the author is Katie Belvick. The title of the author is A White Student is Suing Historically Black Howard University for Racial Discrimination After Classmates called him Mayo King. A white man has filed an $80.4 million lawsuit against Howard University School of Law, a historically black university, alleging racial discrimination and a slew of other claims after he was expelled. Representing himself in his 11-count lawsuit, Michael Newman, who enrolled in the fall of 2020 on a scholarship, argued that he faced racial discrimination on a scale none of my classmates likely ever experienced after he made comments about the black community that his classmates found offensive. An attorney for Howard University and multiple administrators did not respond to the insider's request for comment. Newman's suit is 70 pages, accuses the university of 11 different claims, and is written in the third person since he's serving as his own lawyer. It's a long meandering account of Newman's two years at the school and often reveals the viscerally negative reactions and condemnations his peers and administrators had to his provocative race-based declarations. Multiple times throughout the suit, Newman says other students characterized his comments on racists as racist, insensitive, sexist, and offensive. In a court filing from mid-February, an attorney for Howard University requested an extension to answer Newman's lawsuit because they need additional time to consider the 11 claims and 168 paragraphs across 50 pages of allegations. A spokesperson for Howard University said in a statement shared with the insider that Newman's allegations were one-sided and self-serving. While the university declines to comment on pending litigation substantively, the university is prepared to vigorously defend itself in this lawsuit as the claims provide a one-sided self-serving narrative of the events leading to the end of the student's enrollment at the university. According to Newman's lawsuit, the tension started when he stated in a glass group me, Where I part with the Black community is where they believe government solves problems. I only see it causing problems. He added that he wanted to discuss further whether, one, Black voters didn't question turning to government for solutions, and two, reliably voting for the same party every election decentivized both parties from responding to the needs of the Black community. Newman said in the suit that some students engaged with him on his comments while others reacted with acrimony. He said he was then removed from the student-run group me chat. Around the same time, Newman said he made a comment in a class Zoom chat comparing himself to as a Caucasian student at Howard Law to an African-American student at a primarily white university. After a phone conversation with an administrator who attempted to persuade Newman of the insensitivity if not outright offensiveness of his comments, per his suit, Newman said, he stopped offering his opinion in online classes after his peers remained hostile toward him. A combination of public ostracism 
vilification, and humiliation caused Newman to suffer depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. Newman said in the suit that he shared a series of letters with his peers wherein he called into question some classmates' claims of past race-based harassment at other universities. He also shared a link to Uncle Tom, a documentary by right-wing commentator Larry Elder. Students on the receiving end of Newman's letter called it a manifesto and said he exhibited objectively racist, sexist, and overall problematic behavior. He was removed from the class group, class-wide group me conversation after his peers discovered a tweet of Newman's in which he posted a historic photo of a whip slave with the comment, but we don't know what he did before the picture was taken. Newman said his point was ironic, but his tweet was not well received by his peers or Howard administrators, according to the lawsuit. Newman also wrote to Howard University President Wayne Frederick asking for help to address racial discrimination and seeking reassurance that my status as a Caucasian student is equal to that of my African-American colleagues. In the email, according to the lawsuit, Newman attached an exchange from the group chat wherein a classmate had ridiculed him, dubbed him Mayo King, and posted an image of a jar of mayonnaise. Howard administrators denied that mayonnaise was an epithet or that Newman was a victim of racial discrimination, according to the lawsuit, and said his race discrimination concerns were wasting university resources. Newman said they suggested he transfer to a different school as it appeared Howard Law was a poor choice. Tensions between Newman and other students also flared in a viral town hall, and Newman said he was kicked out of another student group after chat after questioning that he called out Howard's lack of inclusivity. Around the same time, administrators informed Newman that his academic performance placed him near the bottom of the class, jeopardizing his academic scholarship. So the story goes on, um, just talking about more of the things that he claimed in this super uh, large suit. Um, and there's just like this little part at the end. Comparing his situation to students protesting during the civil rights movement, Newman questioned whether the university sanctioning a Caucasian student, but not a black student for substantially the same conduct would be a violation of the Title IV of the Civil Rights Act, which protects against racial discrimination. Ultimately, Newman lost his appeal, after which the student affairs vice president, who was also named as a defendant in the suit, said Newman hadn't shown contrition throughout the process. He was expelled in September 2022. So this got all kind of um, chaos written in it. But before I go in on my rant, what you got? This is really... It doesn't surprise me because I feel like there's a lot of right-wing racists who deliberately do things like that for the purpose of undermining systems that we have in place as Black people and as other minorities to try to compensate for ways we've been disenfranchised in the past. And they try to flip it and like play these Jedi mind tricks and word games to try to make sense out of nonsense in order to undermine it or to be like, you know, just the crap that he was talking about, like, oh, I'm in the same situation as a black person at a predominantly white school is total and complete bullshit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, first of all, you chose to enroll in a historically black law school. Okay, that was your choice. Law school is not a place for everyone. Everyone can't go. It's very strict to try to get in. You have to go through a lot of hassles to get out and become an attorney. What did you think you was going to get 
going to law school at Howard. You were going to get a historically black experience. Now, the the comment about they don't practice inclusivity is conflictual because it's a historically black institution. I don't mean it only serves black people, but the intention of historically black colleges is to be different, is to serve their students from a perspective that could be different than the norm. And law school is where people challenge everything, you know? So while his commentary that was described in his article um, was outrageous, first of all, it was outrageous for him to think he wasn't going to get the type of backlash that he got. I don't, I don't agree that this university is not practicing inclusivity. Like that's, that's a really hard pill to swallow because not like they tell you, you can't come here because you black. Like, I think a lot of white people who don't understand historically black colleges have that misconception. Um, and shit, some black people too, maybe who, who are not familiar with the mission of these institutions, but in the same context, there is no way your experience is anything like a Black person going to a PWI. Um, you can't compare that. That's like apples and oranges. But you chose this. You chose this experience. Who sent you? That's my question for him. Who sent you here? Because this sounds like a straight deploy. Like, this sounds like he probably... It was an agenda. Tra- it was deli- He deliberately yeah. did that. And that the whole purpose was to try to be like a gotcha you know it's the same reason why as much as i would like to go to that museum in dc um the the black smithsonian and everything it's Uh the same reason why there are people that white people that will bring their children deliberately wearing all sorts of inflammatory and racist clothing and things like that it's because they want to provoke a reaction and they want to be loud and abrasive with the disrespect and basically dare you to say something because even in the rest of the article it was talking about all the garbage that he was spewing just in general like making bigoted comments and people wanting to treat that like um how do i put this it's like when you talk about freedom of speech it's not freedom from any consequences it's not freedom from other people deciding they don't like what you're saying and therefore not including you it means that like the government is like you're not gonna go to jail because you're making like a racist joke but other people in your group chat like with other students they don't have to put up with that shit exactly are trying to make it like this is all the same this is all an attack on my liberty and it's like no like you need to first of all there are people who are disappeared for sharing their opinions and it's people whose opinions go against the status quo which is a white supremacist one in this country you know like you can people have been followed and surveyed and all of that for being for like black liberation for saying black lives matter things like that have been followed, tracked by the cops, all types of bullshit that you do not see those types of things as far as like a law enforcement level for, you know, putting up racist memes and all of that. So we can squash that immediately. You know, it's just six sad people, trolls. They have their life is meaningless if it's not to antagonize and try to put down other people they feel are inferior. You know, he needs to find somebody else to play with because this is ridiculous. Just exactly. And for you to be, you know, trying to throw dirt on, you know, 
Howard represents the top of black academia in this world. You know, that it's a symbol of that. They call it the black Mecca because people go through life always wanting to be a part of an institution that's serving in this way. And I'm not saying it's a perfect place. I'm saying that people go there for an experience. Can you imagine being the students that are a part of this fucking class that have to deal with this in their experience? Law school alone is hard already. And you know, many people go into law for whatever reasons, but the shit that you have to learn, the things that you have to review, that shit is traumatic. You know, it's not all bells and whistles and you have to find a way to be objective and to understand this system that parallels everyone's experience here. So in the same context, I just, I feel bad for the students who are going through this experience while they're trying to pursue their degree. And this is just, you know, one of Toni Morrison's quotes, it just reminds me of that. Oh my God, I just pulled that up, Reese. Did you? <laughs> Look, we on the same page. I have it in a tab. I was about to, oh wow. Yep. yep. I was listening to another podcast talk about this and they brought this quote up too. So obviously we was all on the same page. Uh, the function, the very serious function of racism is distraction. This is what's happening here. And it is very sad that these people... I'm sure they're paying an arm and a leg for this experience. I have to go through it in this manner. Like this, I, I, I want to see the results of this trial. I don't think he really has a case, but I would not be surprised if some bullshit happened when they got into the courtroom. Yeah, I know. You know, and it's like Toni Morrison also has that quote about, I think she was doing an interview with Charlie Rose where she was like, who are you if without racism? Like, what are you? Like, do you have anything? And a lot of these people, that's the sad thing. They don't have shit. If they can't feel like they're above somebody else and that they're superior or whatever, they don't have anything to like in themselves other than trying to lord it over others and be a pest, basically. Yep. You know, and it's just so, it's so pathetic. And I wish, I hope the other students can just continue to pay him dust because you know apparently he was a flop and is not doing well anyway but yeah right. they, they want to distract you and keep you from doing the necessary thing because you're so tied up emotionally and mentally trying to argue with their nonsense and it's just not a worthy use of your energy absolutely and he's definitely probably screwed himself up for going into any law school at this point because your academic record follows you be on the lookout for the results of this or when it even goes to trial I wonder who they're going to have presiding over this because that judge can make all the difference. So we shall see. He ain't going to get no $8.4 million, though. That ain't going to happen. I hope not. But, I mean, look at the way the country is. We got too many flunkies just like him that unfortunately got out of law school and are doing all types of crap. So let's hope he doesn't go much farther. But the way things are at the moment, who can say? That's true. That's true. All right, y'all. So we're going to go ahead and take our next music break before hopping into our world news story. Um, The next song, we're going to take it back for some women's history. This is the Pointer Sisters with Yes, We Can. You are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be right back.
You can follow our social media accounts. We have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. Our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces, no punctuation. Our Instagram account is at objection to the rule. Again, no spaces, no punctuation marks. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next, this is a story, um, an article that was written in The Guardian. The authors are Rajiv Sial and Kieran Stacy. It was written on Tuesday, March the 7th. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing for the sake of time, but this is most of it. Uh, the title of the article is Rashi Sunak Extinguishing the Right to Seek Refugee Protections in UK. Uh, and before I get into the actual article, uh, there's some acronyms that are used that I'm just going to read out and explain at the top. So the article refers to the UNHCR. That stands for the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. Uh, that is a United Nations agency that's mandated to aid and protect refugees, forcibly displaced communities, and stateless people, and to assist in their voluntary repatriation, local integration, and resettlement to a th- or resettlement to a third country. Um, that commission that was set up in 1950. Uh, And the ECHR is the European Convention on Human Rights. That's an international convention to protect human rights and political freedoms in Europe. It was drafted in 1950 by the then newly formed Council of Europe, and it was entered into force in September 1953. Rishi Sunak's government has been accused of extinguishing the right to seek refugee protection in the UK by the United Nations Refugee Agency after the introduction of a contentious new law to stop small boats from crossing the English Channel. After Suella Braverman was forced to admit that the illegal migration bill was more than 50% likely to break human rights laws, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees said it was profoundly concerned by the bill's provisions, which give the government the right to criminalize, detain, and deport asylum seekers, saying it would be a clear breach of the Refugee Convention. Unveiling the plans to members of parliament earlier, Braverman said the law places a legal duty on the government to detain and deport nearly all those who arrive, quote unquote, irregularly, such as via small boats in the channel. There would be constraints on the rights of asylum seekers to use a judicial review to challenge decisions, she said on Tuesday as ministers attempt to bypass the legal wrangles that have prevented the implementation of plans to send people to Rwanda. The bill will also introduce an annual cap to be decided by parliament on the number of refugees the UK will offer sanctuary to through safe and legal routes, but only once the boats have been stopped. In an unusually critical statement, The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees said the legislation, if passed, would amount to an asylum ban, 
extinguishing the right to seek refugee protection in the United Kingdom for those who arrive irregularly, no matter how genuine and compelling their claim may be. The effect of the bill in this form would be to deny protection to many asylum seekers in need of safety and protection and even deny them the opportunity to put forward their case. This would be a clear breach of the Refugee Convention and would undermine a long-standing humanitarian tradition of which the British people are rightly proud. Braverman alluded to the bill's quote-unquote legal complexities while announcing the plans in the House of Commons. The bill also gives the government the power to sidestep the European Convention on Human Rights rulings, which were used last to stop a deportation flight to Rwanda. Simon Clark, a conservative former minister, said the UK must leave the European Convention on Human Rights if the new bill aimed at tackling small boat crossings does not work. Joanna Cherry, the SNP MP for Edinburgh Southwest, told the Commons, isn't the plan behind this legislation simply this? The legislation will go through in the certain knowledge that the domestic courts of the United Kingdom will find that it's incompatible with international law and the European Convention on Human Rights, and then the Tories will fight the next general election on a promise to take the United Kingdom out of the European Convention on Human Rights. Leaving the European Convention on Human Rights, which was drafted in the aftermath of the Second World War and the Holocaust to protect people from state power, would breach the Good Friday Agreement. The only other European nations not signed up are Belarus and Russia, which has been expelled because of the invasion of Ukraine. Pressed on whether he would be willing to leave the European Convention on Human Rights if any of the bill is found to breach European law, however, Sunak refused to do so, setting up a potential fight with his own backbenchers. We don't believe it is necessary to leave the European Convention on Human Rights, he told reporters in Downing Street. We believe that we're acting in compliance with it and meeting our international obligations. The TV presenter, Gary Lineker, who welcomed a second refugee into his Surrey home in October last year, has criticized the move, quote tweeting a, vi a video of Braverman claiming that enough is enough, we must stop the boats with the words, good heavens, this is beyond awful. Lineker added, we take far fewer refugees than any other major European countries. This is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 30s. And I'm out of order? In 2022, a record 45,755 migrants arrived in the UK after crossing the channel. More than 3,000 have already made the journey so far this year. Home office figures show 197 made the crossing on Monday, the first arrival since February 24th, taking the total to date to 3,150. Um, and just on a side note, this is what the prime minister tweeted. Um, Rishi Sunak tweeted out with a graphic. If you come to the UK illegally, you can't claim asylum. You can't benefit from our modern slavery protections. 
You can't make spurious human rights claims and you can't stay. Um, and again, just like with the local story, I want to reiterate that Rishi Sunak is not a white person. Um, so just because a person might themselves be the son of an immigrant or a person of color, like does not mean that they cannot be acting in the interests of, you know, a lot of these white nationalist far right uh, ways of thinking. Will there ever be a time when the refugee community is taken serious in this world? Because I just feel like it, it's just like the the thought of not being it's, it's almost like non-personhood like they're treated as if they're they're not human for whatever reasons and the more and more people pass these laws with this language that gives the government the right to treat them as criminals the more we start we're going to start to see um you know a, a rise in, in other types of Unfortunately, things that they have to do, like in their life, um, you know, things like that, because their conditions are just so awful. If you if you decide to take the route as a refugee, you decide to do that. You absolutely have no choice or you want to have better choices, better opportunity. You could be persecuted. You could be getting hurt. There could be a famine. Like the reasons that people be and become wars break out or these you, we just talked about these horrible earthquakes that happen in turkey turkey and syria it's things that you can't control at all all you can control is your ability to take yourself out of a bad situation the whole term refugee alone is so polarizing and i hate that it, it just seems like every every day people are treating people like they own some plot of land, they own a country, they own the right of the earth. When in fact, that's not true. That's, I just don't understand why it makes more sense to put already vulnerable people in more danger. It's, it's inhumane. It's inhumane. And it's also, you know, it's a tale as old as time that these places like to pick and choose who is an acceptable refugee and who isn't. You know, and it's like, if you have the right complexion, it's one story for you when some shit goes down in your country and you need someplace else to go, you know, there's one response. But if you're not the right color, you're not the right income level or whatever, it's a completely different situation. And it, we see it here in the U.S., like people will emphasize coming the right way, but they will completely ignore or be ignorant of what that even means. It's like coming the right way often means that you have to be somebody who is like connected. You know, you're at a certain level in your home country anyway, where you might not be the most at risk or like you already have resources or a certain level of education or money or whatever, where you're able to go out the quote unquote right way. And then all the other people who have to go the quote unquote wrong way are simply people that don't have that same level of privilege or, you know, because of their race or other things about their identity, they don't have access to the same means to come through the quote unquote legal way, you know? So like these terms of legal, illegal, all of that, it's all fluid and it flips and it flops, you know, based on who is being talked about. And it's, it's, it's really, it's so nakedly transparent. And I think 
the TV presenter, um, Lineker, good on him for speaking up and for saying something. Yeah. The fact that he took in, he's taken in more than one refugee in his own home. So he's not just talking about it. He is about it. He was right to say that this is identical to what was happening around the Holocaust. It was the same crap here, England, you know, making up excuses to turn people away back to certain death. And, you know, it's just repeating the same thing now. Yeah. I mean, we, it's not safe anywhere for anyone. It seems like sometimes the show we see is so dismal, but just the, the vulnerability of anyone in that condition, um, you can't blame them. And I guess that's what I was trying to say. And you're right. You know, it, every day is, it's another thing that's being done to put people in situations that they can't control. And, you know, it's uh, how many of us can say that we would legit be able to take someone in and help them to build a better life. I mean, it's hard enough to live the life that we have already, but it can't even um, compare to what um, a refugee may face in a lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really, especially with all the things happening with climate change and just instability, like I I will say one thing that happened like since the war in Ukraine broke out, I think it's unfortunate, but for some people, like it takes something like that happening in like a majority white or almost exclusively white place where the people that are being, you know, platformed or you see them giving their story on the news. It's like they're perceived by the West as being like, oh, like that, they're just like me. They're just like, uh, I think sometimes it takes that for people to understand like, yes, like things could happen where like you are safe one day and then something goes down and you are suddenly in a very unsafe situation. And then what would you do? Where would you go? How would you want someone to treat you? You know, and I, I just, you know, like with a lot of things, people feel like it'll never be them. It, You know, there was this, I remember I used to teach ESL to adult um, immigrants in Queens. And it wasn't my student, it was a co-worker student who was like a middle-aged man. He was from a Latin American country. And he had said to her, you know, back when I had XYZ job, like he was in a certain position in his home country. And he's like, I used to see people that were like restaurant workers or like they had those types of jobs. And I would say like, oh, that stupid person, like he should have, they should have worked harder. Like what that person is a loser. And he's like, you know, and now I'm in this country, guess what my job is? I'm cutting up the vegetables and doing this and that. It's like, you know, you don't know where life will take you so think (laughs) you know be kind like you don't know when it'll be your turn to need somebody to you know give you a place to live or you know not harass you and be trying to ship you back to a country you've never been to you know they're where I mentioned Rwanda they're sending people to Rwanda who have no connection to the country it's not sending people back who are Rwandan it's That's like bizarre. they will just send you to Rwanda. You could be from anywhere. You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's bizarre, man. And people who make these rules and make these decisions have no idea of the many, many generations of people they'll be affecting with this bullshit. 
I know. And just, and also just in the past, like how, you know, the majority of human history on this earth is a history of migration. You yeah. know, it's not, that's the norm. It's abnormal now, like the borders and stuff that we have, like that's a new phenomenon that's man-made. That's not a natural thing that just popped up. Like it's all some made up stuff that a bunch of powerful people, you know, drew on a damn map. So, you know, acting like it's this immutable thing that can't be changed or can't be flexible is really ridiculous. And, you know, if we're serious about the migrant crisis, we also have to be serious about like what is causing people to leave and how can we alleviate that? Because people like to stay home. Exactly. It's not fun to start over in a place you don't know the language, you don't know the culture, you don't know nothing. You're doing it because you're you are all out of out options. Yeah. You know, so how can we help to keep people home and stable so we don't have this going on? You know, let's put some thought into that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Source this problem for real and see what can be done. And, you know, it's. It, I think a lot of times when we, you speak on an international scale, it's tough, right? Because you, every state is sovereign and they're going to do it the way that they want to do it. You know, you have to be very careful. I think the United Nations has tried since its inception to uh plea cases for things like this but really there is no global government and making suggested suggestions on how to deal with these types of crises you know they could fall on deaf ears all the time you know um the fact that a commission even exists to have these discussions are you know is very intentional um but unfortunately i think in its inception it, it made a lot of sense but now it, it almost seems like you know to take your country out of a commission that is global basically means no, no one has the right to tell me how to do whatever. But then when you in need, when you need some help, when it, when it's something like that, then it, it really changes the game. So, you know, it's, it's very difficult to even fight for causes like this and make it to the point where you are a person making decisions. And I really hate the fact that the people who are in power, they never seem to, understand they just never seem to to get it like at all and it's not about it's not even about people anymore it's not even about that it's about power and money and that's it it's it's never about the people so hopefully this will not pass but you know that remains to be seen you know there's still time for there to be enough pushback for it to not happen at least not in the way this extreme draconian way that they're trying but you know, time will tell. Right. Absolutely. Well, we did it. We've come to the end of another episode of Objection to the Rule. I wish we had some good news to balance it out, but. Well, there's a very brief um, on nature.com. I'm not going to read it, but there's in the end of February, there was a third patient free of HIV after receiving virus resistant cells. Um, There's still risk associated with the procedure. So in its current form, it's not likely to be used broadly, but that's still an exciting breakthrough and hopefully you know, they'll be able to find a safer way to expand this treatment. And, you know, we can finally put HIV and AIDS behind us someday. Well, that's good. Definitely always good to hear advancements in medicine.
All right. Well, our final track of the day is Far Away by Yeba featuring Aesop Rocky. And you have been listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Don't forget to spring forward, y'all. See you there in the future. <laughs> Roll up all my ones. Take my chances. Hit another one. Watch the embers burn away. Pour a double cup. I'm dirty dancing. What am I running from when I run so far away? Lord knows that I'm trying I know our love has been done